Hello and welcome to another New Beginnings podcast. Today I'm going to be interviewing, and by interviewing I mean interrogating, the amazing Dr. Yad Wigali. Yad is the New Beginnings CEO and founder, but she is also my dear friend and I've been so honoured to work with her these past two years. So Yad, I've known this for a while because I've known you for several years, but others may not know that you were originally a frontline social worker. Can you tell us what that was like? Yeah, so I qualified in 2005 and I went straight into children and families thinking that I'd only stay there a couple of years and then I would go on and do something else. And I went into practice and really enjoyed it straight away but also found it really hard. And the reason why I found it hard was because I struggled with not seeing the families very often, Mm -hmm. um, with managing the risk that came with the families that I was working with. I had been in university when the Victoria Columbia inquiry was going on and we were told to read the report and read it again. And when I got into practice, we were told to read it again. And I think I really took away messages of a newly qualified social worker working with uh, a child who was at risk of significant abuse. And she really didn't know what she was doing. And I'm talking about Lisa Arthwery. And I felt the same pressure and responsibility that I was new in practice, really enjoyed working with the families. But I also was aware of the risk and managing that risk and making sure I was doing what I could in that um, time, which really, honestly, wasn't a lot. Yeah. So I enjoyed my job, but I couldn't wait to learn more about what I could do better. And I think um, as soon as I started in practice, I started reading and doing continuous professional development training that expanded my knowledge and made me aware of different skills and interventions that were out and about in the world that we weren't doing where I was in the local authority. Mm. So I soon became aware of the fact that I was doing quite minimal. I was going out to see families, asking them their life stories, filling in an assessment, making a decision on families that I really didn't know very well. And at the same time, balancing this risk that I was uncomfortable with. And on top of that, the local authority that I worked for was in a really bad place. Mm. Lots of people were leaving. Senior management was in turmoil and it was a toxic culture. Yeah. And I imagine that was also quite traumatic, graduating university and looking at every case that you came across as another potential Victoria Columbia. Yeah, it was. It was traumatising for me as a newly qualified social worker, but also for the families, because that's how I treated them, was they could be the next Victoria Columbia. And of course, they weren't. And is is that how New Beginnings eventually became into being? What was the, the journey of that revelation like and how did you sort of walk it? So I'm going to tell you an uncomfortable story. And that is that I thought I was a good social worker and I thought I was doing the best by the families that I was working with and uh, the service that I was working for. But it wasn't until one day um, I was called into a meeting by a social worker and I couldn't understand why I'd been called into this meeting, but they wanted my opinion apparently and they called me in and they were talking to me about this case that I was semi-familiar with. I was on the duty team and also did out of hours. And they were talking to me about this case and they were telling me about the risks and the concerns that they had. And I was nodding and um, what their plan of action was. And I was nodding. And then I said, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure why you've called me in here. No one's actually asked my advice. And I'm familiar with the case, but it's not my case. So what role am I playing here? And the social worker turned around and she said, well, you're the PPO queen. And then it hit me. What did that mean when she said PPO queen? So, well, PPO means police protection order, which doesn't actually exist. It's the powers of police protection Mm -hmm. that social workers can use when they want to remove a child immediately. And it involves bringing the police in. So rather than wait to go via court, 
and they're requesting emergency protection order. When you're on out of hours, it's much easier to use the police. And I had become one of those social workers that rather than take the risk and wait till the next day, um, I was relying on the police to remove children that I felt were at immediate risk of harm straight away. And of course, uh, when you do do that, then it's you're able to initiate court proceedings much quicker. Yeah. And you're able to reach threshold and request an interim care order if necessary. And I realised that day that I had become a risk-averse practitioner without even realising it myself. I thought I was keeping family safe, children safe, but I recognised in that moment I'd also developed a reputation in my service for being um, someone that probably went about things in a different, quicker, more immediate way. And um, there was my nickname, the PPO Queen. But I think I also realised in that moment that I had been keeping myself safe. Hmm. Um, and that had been my primary motive. And I think at that moment when I'd had that revelation, and it was a real guttural um, revelation because that wasn't who I'd wanted to become, yeah. um, I tried to do the reverse. And, of course, I was aware that some of the families I was working with, who I was really fond of, really wanted them to access services that weren't just parenting courses about how to... Um, you know, potty train your child, spend time not shouting at your child, not using chastisement. I wanted to help parents understand why they were in the child protection system and why they had been children in the child protection system themselves and how they weren't breaking the cycle. We were breaking it for them by removing their children into care and instead creating a different kind of cycle uh, that was becoming more problematic. So so I think when I'd had that revelation and I thought, right, I'm determined, and it was one family in particular that I, I can see right now as I'm talking to you, and this was a woman who was addicted to um, a variety of different substances, and she had two beautiful girls, um, and she really loved her children, but she struggled to care for them. And um, every time I went round uh, to visit her, she was de desperate to make changes, but she just didn't know how. She was in an area where all her friends were involved, um, either in criminal activity or were using substances. She'd grown up in the care system or had been in and out of care anyway. And I knew that the plan was to remove these children. So I went about looking for a project that could support this mum to revisit her childhood and understand why she was where she was and perhaps spend time focusing on her and her story and the journey that she'd taken and help her see that some of the strategies that she developed weren't helpful, but also help her see that the, the relationship she had with her children was beautiful when she was, you know, sober, when she was clean. Yeah. And there was nothing. I couldn't find anything. Um, and that isn't a happy ending to that story. Those children were removed into care and, um, I left social work, not as a result of that family. There are many families I'd worked with where the children were removed into care. But um, I think I realised, one, who I'd become wasn't who I set out to be when I joined social work. But two, I wasn't helping families. Mm -hmm. I was making situations worse and that there were no services out there that could do what I felt they needed. So there was nothing out there in the UK so that caused you to look further afield is that where you found the uh, inspiration for new beginnings yes so I was talking to a professor um, who was on the Tavistock clinic and he recommended that I go to Belgium North Belgium and I'd always heard that Scandinavia had a different way of working with families than we did over here um, and I'd been reading about different models and so I went, well, while I was actually still a social worker, I went to uh, do my doctoral uh, research with uh, Salford University to go and look at what other countries were doing. And I was doing that while I was working um, 
going over to Belgium and seeing all these different ways of practicing that were being conducted by social workers. And then that's when I came across an organization called Stoba, which basically means the stump, uh, root of a tree, uh, which symbolizes new beginnings. And as soon as I walked through the doors of this organization, and by the way, I have to like kind of set the scene here because this isn't a door to like a church building or, you know, a council building, anything like that. It was a garage door. So it had the roll down shutters and a little metal door on the side. And I remember going through thinking, what is this? And then I walked into this place that was just absolutely beautiful. And I say beautiful because it was just so simple. Um, lovely garden that had been um, developed by the families that were there. Uh, really warm, comforting feeling when you walked in. And what you had was families who were there who were on the edge of uh, proceedings mm -hmm. who had kind of been given a last chance of being in this therapeutic community environment with their children. They were going to group, um, different group sessions, and their children were in crash or at school. And then there were sessions where they were being filmed in interaction with their children, or they were with other parents and their children all together doing activities. And what I noticed straight away was that the families were one being introduced to one another, and that's something I'd never done as a social worker. I never introduced my families to one another. In fact, like that was like the cardinal sin because you know who who knows what that would lead to. That would lead to more problems, then they'd get into more trouble, and and then there were all the issues around confidentiality. So here you had this place where they were actively introducing families to one another. And what was helpful was that families were really enjoying that um, because they felt less alone, less marginalized. Um, but they're also learning from one another and they were picking up tips and they were listening to each other's stories. And yeah, of course, there were problems um, and there were arguments, but the way that they facilitated those conversations to overcome that conflict uh, was all from learning from the peers that had been there longer, who were teaching them that it wasn't worth it, that actually they needed to stick together. And what I really enjoyed about being there was the professional's perspective on families. The language that they used wasn't tokenistic. Um, I hear a lot of tokenistic language these days. That all sounds good when it comes to impact and outcomes, but it doesn't mean anything in practice but here I could see that these professionals loved being with the families and they were learning as much from the families as the families were learning from them and that was really powerful so the conversations I was having was not with just a professional talking about a family they were bringing the family in and I was learning from both professional and family together and yeah, it blew my mind that this kind of place existed behind this rickety garage door um, and yeah, I came back to England, came back to the local authority where I was working, was talking to people about this place that I'd been to see. No one could believe it. None of my colleagues could believe it. But you know what? All of them were fascinated. Tell me more. So whenever I came back, I'd have a story to tell because the other thing they do is they use art as a way of communicating with families. So there we go. We've got the visual element of talking to families. Um, and real symbolic gestures in terms of meaningful ways of connecting and sharing with families and vice versa. So I'd come back with these stories and my team, well, they weren't my team, I worked with, you know, different social workers would be really intrigued. Like, what have you seen? And you know, the sad thing is I used to be one of those social workers that would have ridiculed that kind of approach when I first started in practice. And yeah, I realized how foolish I had been or how ignorant I had been when I could see the impact that working with families could bring mm. to so many people, not just families in child protection, but the professionals who were supporting them and getting enjoyment out of supporting families. And was it very much a eureka moment for you? Did you think of that mother with those two girls in that moment and think this, this could have saved them? Yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely a eureka moment. 
and not just the mother of those two girls, but going back through all the families that I had worked with, some of the decisions that I'd made. I mean, the feedback I used to get from families when I was a social worker was that I was lovely, Mm -hmm. was that um, it was nice to be with me, that I wasn't patronising, you know, that they could build a relationship with me. But all the time I had in my head um, risk, and I think that that did wasn't helped by perhaps some of the supervision I had with my team managers who also had to hold that risk. And, you know, when you look at chronologies and trying to work out when's the right time to progress this. Um, whereas over there, what I could see were professionals not being satisfied until they had tried everything. And knowing when they had tried everything that that might be the right time to progress into proceedings because they got to build such a good relationship with the family that they knew that um, the parent wasn't ready. And that's what they often say over there, you know, the parent's just not ready, the family's not ready. This is, this we've tried everything we possibly can and this isn't working. But because they had spent so much time with that family, the family often reached a conclusion before the professional did. And I think that was fascinating as well. And I remember asking them, you know, can you tell me about your successes? And they said, well, we need to stop you right there because you're thinking of success as meaning families that stay together. Mm. We think of we think of success as when families can have conversations with us because they feel safe and they talk to us about what's truly going on inside their heads and whether they feel they can do this or they can't do this and what how we can support them to make the decision that's right for them and their family that to us is success yeah so Um, in that moment the success isn't naturally the outcome it's the fact that the professionals are no longer writing the story and that the family and professionals are writing it together yeah i like that yeah that's just it because that's what I'd been doing. I'd been writing the story for families right up until that point, determining the outcome that would take place for that family. And here I saw a service that we're doing it in partnership with. Um, Yeah, and it blew my mind. So you see that and you come back and you think, I'm going to bring that here, but why Stockport? What was here that you felt could make New Beginnings work? Okay, so I did come back and I wrote about um, my research and I thought someone would kind of pick it up and run with it. I don't know why, I was nobody. And this was a very expensive book that I'd written as well. I don't think many people have bought it. And then I had the opportunity at university, uh, when because I'd become an academic then, to... Um, have some study leave and I thought well rather than sit at home and write papers and get some research bids in I would really like to see if this project could work and I was on Twitter as an active Twitter user back then and I had been watching Deborah Woodcock from Stockport talk about restorative practice and working with families and I think I'd been eyeing up a few uh, different assistant directors from different councils and um, I approached a few and said, you know, I'd like to talk to you about this community project. And all of them had said, yeah, come and talk to us. But the first person I went to see was Deborah. And I think it was in that meeting, and it was a good meeting um, around the table, lots of challenging questions. Um, but what she proposed was we do it together. So it become it's a pilot project uh, where we just see how it works. Um, and we go from there and we grow it kind of in partnership, it would be separate, but it would be a collaboration. And I liked that because the others were just saying, come in and fix it. So you come in and fix the problem we've got. And the problem was high numbers of children were being removed into care, high numbers of families in child protection, Um, lots of uh, recurrent proceedings going on as well. Um, And here we had this assistant director with a different story and I liked it I didn't know her it was the first time I'd met her I'd actually direct messaged her on Twitter so for her to invite me in and say come on and and talk in person and let's see what we can do together was was a different um, approach to other authorities and that's how Stockport got chosen and so 
Stockport said, let's do a pilot. And you did that first pilot or first two cohorts that were pilot. What were those first few groups like? Because I came in at six, so I'm quite interested in what it was like at first. Well, the first cohort, like there weren't many parents at all. I mean, there were a lot of parents that were being referred in, um, but only five actually came. Um, and actually, that's quite good. <laughs> I'm really pleased it was so small. And Stockport had given me a support worker as well, and both of us were really excited about working with this, uh, these five parents. Um, and really, how did I run it? Well, I ran it like I did the lectures at university. I produced my, I create my material. Um, and I started at the beginning with childhood and I had a kind of vague idea of where we would go and where we would end up. But I wanted to make sure that um, after each session that I delivered, that I'd get feedback from the parents that would then feed into the next session. And um, that method worked well. And bless their cotton socks, they came. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, when they didn't come, I'd go and find them. <laughs> so they had to come. So they knew I'd go and find them. So they had to come. And, you know, we had some families in really difficult situations there. And uh, I wanted that. I wanted families in the child protection system. Those were that were at pre um, proceedings level. Um, and... I just I can still see them now and I'm still in touch with them now um, and they pop up every now and again but uh, yeah I think they did they kept saying oh like uh, what's going on here why is this the first time you've run this program what are we letting ourselves in for but at the same time I think they could see someone who was really eager yeah yeah to make a, to make a change and I really enjoyed building a different kind of relationship with them than I had done as a social worker. It felt like a breath of fresh air. And I think what was really lovely was that Stockport had given me this space to technically be very creative because the other thing I was doing was representing them in um, child protection meetings and um, child in need meetings, as was my um, secondee that was working with me at the time. And that was a learning curve as well. Um, going in and, you know, this new professional sat around a, um, a conference table, shedding new light on a family. And, and I think what I'd really enjoyed in that moment was changing narratives. And I think that was the first time that I started realising the danger of a single story. And I'd been part of that. Mm -hmm. As a social worker, I created single stories about families. And what I mean by that is... You know, the records that you keep, the stories that professionals tell you, you record them and it creates a story about a person and one story that you want it to achieve. And that tends to be this parent is a risk and um, the children aren't safe in the house with this parent. And then even when you start to doubt that narrative yourself, it's very difficult to change because the discourse is there. It's become a life of its own and people find it very difficult to to wrestle with that Um that story um and here I was in these conference meetings full of confidence and challenging um people's perspectives and I think I remember a few IROs smiling thinking this is interesting and their smile I think encouraged me to do a little bit more mm. um but more than anything it was the parents that I was sat with who were just like whoa who is this woman? And it was then that I realised, my God, they are here on their own. Mm -hmm. you know, no wonder they don't want to come to these um, places to come and be told by professional after professional after professional, you're not doing a good job, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, you haven't done this. You know, to have a room full of people telling you your shit. Um, and there, instead, they had this person next to them saying, yeah, OK, I hear that, that being me, by the way. But what you haven't seen is that they are really trying. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are really creative stages. So you asked me about cohort one, you know, a group of five parents, then cohort two came along much more. There were 20 parents. And I remember when they came in, I really got stage fright. And I remember dropping some papers and they went under the table. 
um, and I climbed under the table to get the papers and I was underneath the table thinking, oh my God, I can't do this, I can't do this. All these women are expecting me to change their lives round and I just haven't I haven't got the skills to do this. <laughs> I've been under there for some time. Because when I came back up for air, I remember they were all sat around looking at me going, what are you doing? <laughs> get your shit together, come on. We're ready to learn. And again, you know, quite a few of those parents left and I think we always tend to lose a quarter mm-hmm. after the first couple of sessions it's just not for them um but a good few stayed and um again I learned as much from them in fact I probably learned more from them than they did from me um and those two cohorts were kind of uh what shaped the future with my relationship with families but also uh, with Stockport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is incredibly powerful. I know earlier I said, you know, put down the pen and write the story together. But I think from a parent's perspective who's been in that situation, it's more like a chisel because the minute that story's written, it's in stone and it is mm-hmm. impossible to escape that narrative that somebody else has forged for you. Um, and I've always found it very powerful, even when I went through New Beginnings, that finally in this room, there is a voice in my corner um, and it is one of the things that I love. But did that voice ever get affected or altered or diminished by the pandemic? Because I know that you operated as best you could during that very crazy time of life. Yeah, we just got a new building and I just got three workers, three secondees from Stockport. So this had all just been approved. We were about to grow. We had a new cohort starting. I even remember the welcome meeting and it being crammed full of social workers and parents all looking as I stood up on a chair and talked to them all. Everyone excited about like, you know, this is it. We're taking off. And literally, I think we ran a couple of groups when the pandemic hit and we had to leave that building. And... Everyone was saying, well, lots of groups stopped. I know lots of um, programs in Stockport just stopped um, working altogether. And I thought, no, we can't do this to our families. And we moved online. Um, You know, and I'm grateful really to COVID in some ways because we wouldn't have done that. And we were losing parents who did not enjoy the face-to-face element of group. So suddenly, suddenly we're online. Um, everyone's starting to feel a bit more comfortable with being able to talk online, although everyone had to turn their camera off and turn their cameras on, you know, whenever they wanted to speak. And you weren't entirely sure if anyone was listening. But it became apparent quite quickly that, you know, they were. And we had ways of um, making sure people were still there. And we also then developed that um, the rooms where you could split off and go and do small group work, just like we'd done in person. Mm. Um, and so in answer to your question, um, you know, how did that affect us? Well, it, it did have an effect on us, but it was beneficial too. And I know I got some funding quite quickly to get everyone tablets for that group. It was cohort three, so people that were without um, tech, suitable tech, um, we were able to buy it in and, and um, hand it out. Um, and, yeah, we just carried on then from there on doing group work online. And it's always been that way. So although we have group work online, we still meet parents face-to-face on our one-to-one sessions. Then we've got the drop-in centre where parents can come. So there's kind of a blended approach that has developed from COVID. Yeah, that works well. <laughs> That does. It, well, I think it works well uh, at the moment, but I think that, you know, we're, all, we're always changing. We're always having to think about, well, listen to feedback. What are parents saying now? What are we going to do? We've got to think about children as well and childcare. And I think something that's quite unique about New Beginnings is that it does adapt to the local community. And we do go with the flow as best as we possibly can. Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, ironically, but also quite on point, our uh, emblem is the butterfly, which is obviously because of the change that that uh, animal will undergo in order to reach something better. But I know speaking about how we've changed and adapted and how you've kind of helped the organization adapt. 
when I first came on, things like VIG was just beginning. Um, we didn't have adult attachment interviews, QB checks, timelines, life laundry. We didn't even have necessarily male parent figures. That was very rare that we would have male parent figures doing this program. And now we have all of these tools that we've opened up and uh, sort of opened our doors to. So what what is it that you feel tips you into trialing something and then for it to become a core function of how the program works like using video interactive guidance okay that's a really good question so i came with the idea of what they were doing in belgium and um, which is uh narrative theory narrative therapy so it's listening to people's stories and helping them understand um how that story's been developed from their perspective. But then there's also what they hold in mind are the risks um, uh, to the children. And so they use the, the video interaction guidance to help parents see the children's perspectives. Mm. I just not realised at the time how important that part was. So back to your original question. So we started with group work, and that technically is introducing parents to one another. And then the representation work that we do, um, which is, you know, supporting parents to feel less alone in the professional meetings, but then also do, using those key work sessions, which were supposed to be bespoke in terms of tailored to the parents' needs. And there was a, a workbook that I'd written um, that parents could complete by themselves or with the key worker. But it was when I... So I went to a conference in Manchester and I came across Moni Celebi, um, who was talking about video interaction guidance. And it reminded me of that offer in um, Stoba in Belgium of what they did using video. And I thought, oh, this is something we could do. And actually she was, you know, a trainer. So I put myself forward, got trained, started doing it with families realized it was a game changer in terms of families with learning needs who struggle to understand that theoretical component suddenly being able to see themselves in interaction with their children and seeing what they do well and then knowing for themselves what they need to improve on um, and I think that that really helped in the court arena when uh, there was families that social workers weren't sure could do it and perhaps guardians were in a position where they thought maybe they could. I could come in with a report that had evidence, which was evidence-based, to say, here's what I've been doing. I've been following this family, sometimes for up to a year, um, filming them in interaction with their children, and I think they can do it, and here's the reasons why. And I was able to evidence that. Um, and they were being received well uh, in the court arena. So video interaction guidance came first, and then I started talking to um, Trina in Love Barrow, where they use a dynamic maturational model of practice, and also Becca Carr Hopkins, who's a big guider, um, but also is a trainer um, in the DMM. And Richard Devine's talked about that as well. And I started thinking, you know, one problem we have with the parents that we work with is that we can sometimes endorse a narrative that might not actually be what happened in childhood or support a story that enables them to dismiss or deny a lot of the abuse that they'd encountered. And that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and so talking to uh, Trina and Becca, I could see that the DMM could help us carry out the adult attachment interview with parents, identify which strategy they may be using, and not necessarily code it so that we could say, here you go, this is the strategy you use. It's maladaptive, get over it, but rather help us as practitioners see what was going on for that parent and why they were responding to their attachment figures in that way. And then helping them see one, the adult attachment interview is really helpful in a parent being able to tell their narrative in, about their attachment figures in a particular way, you know, through an interview. But then it helped us see, as practitioners, 
oh, what are they missing out here? What part of the story isn't being told? And then by using a family tree and a timeline um, to explore those uncomfortable parts of their story, it's a great technique in helping parents to see another perspective and have those light bulb moments of like, oh God, yes. So those two elements came in at those points um, and they've uh, definitely um, complemented the work we do. And then of course, what we've got is, what we've learned along the way is that many of our parents have learning needs and they hated the word workbook. They hated that workbook. I know you didn't, you were very good. You were a good student. <laughs> Um, but others didn't and they didn't complete it and we you know when we started asking questions um, they told us quite clearly didn't they we don't like the word work reminds us of school and plus there was lots of disclosures around being able to understand it it was written for academics um, and I thought I'd done the opposite and it, it was at that point then that um, I thought about getting funding to develop it into um, a life story book. So this is what stays true to the original New Beginnings approach, is that it's still an opportunity for a parent to tell their story through different chapters. But this time they do it um, digitally. So they've got animation, they've got stories from the parents who've been before them telling them about their experiences of being in the child protection system, of being on new beginnings, the lessons they've learned. And now parents can watch it, listen to it, and respond by either making notes, uh, vlogs, voice notes. And that's a, a new introduction to the way that we practice. Um, and so we've yet to see whether it works. But the response we've had so far is like, oh, this is good, this is new. Yeah, a story of your life book is a bit cheesy, but you know, I'll go along with that. <laughs> so yeah. But I do I do want to draw a parallel to um we said video interactive guidance is about helping the parent attune with their child and go into their world. But do you think, and maybe I'm just reaching the adult attachment interviews in the DMM is about helping professionals attune with the parents they're working with and go into their world as well? That's a really, really good way of framing it. And that's absolutely what goes on here. And I think what I find fascinating is that video interaction guidance, well, one, it's taught me that I'm not very good at receiving. Um, and that is hearing, acknowledging and responding to all practitioners have an agenda. Mm -hmm. So social workers go into parents' houses to complete an assessment, but already they're making judgments. And rather than being in that moment and being present and listening to what's going on and going away and thinking or and receiving that, first of all, and then going away and thinking and coming back with more questions um, and ideas and solving a problem together, professionals don't have the time and space to do that and, you know, are very busy and have this direction of travel of which they are going. And predominantly that is, how do I keep the children safe? How can I keep the children safe in the home? How can I get the parent to change the way that they're behaving? How can I get the parent to realise what they're doing is having a negative impact on their children? And we are very telling, uh, telly, telly, telly profession, as in we tell people what to do. You know what you need to do? You need to go and do this. You need to go and do that. You need to go and do this. And of course, that's the most repelling thing that a parent can hear. And yet I was still doing it in new beginnings. I'd sit, I'd listen. But I knew in my head I was plotting Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I've been here before. So a solution to this is, a solution to that is. And what Vig has forced me to do is to stop and be in that moment. And in a shared review, when you're analysing footage with the parent and you really want the parent to see um, what it is you see and what it is that's not going so well, you have to keep the agenda in mind, but you have to really focus on what the parent's saying because there's clues in that. And that is your right about the practitioner attuning to the parent and going with them at their pace and helping them see. You can't guide. I mean, on the top of the scaffolding of the principles attunement, you've got that stage in terms of guiding. And guiding always breaks down when you haven't got the foundations in place. And that is sitting, mm. observing, wondering, listening, giving space, giving time. And if you don't do that as a practitioner, you're never, they're never going to hear you. Those, that guiding part at the top is never going to be received. 
And you're right. That is something that I've really taken away with me in VIG and, um, and something that I still practice on a daily basis. And still, I'm not great at, but trying to improve on. Yeah. And I, I want to come back to something else you say, which is, whilst that's my journey with the parent, I then take the social worker on that journey too. And I think that's really fascinating to see. And the social workers that have been on that journey with me and the parent, social workers that thought there is no way that this is going to work, have loved that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a few social workers that we have worked with who have, um, yeah, really enjoyed that and are convinced by VIG and want to use VIG in the work that we do with families and in their reports that they write too. So yeah. it's worked all around. But going back to your earlier time in frontline social work, I think it's easy to sort of me paint the picture of how, you know, social workers aren't always on the same journey as their parents because while your journey was Victoria Columbier, their journey is whatever serious case review is front and centre at the time when they were being educated and so social workers get traumatised by their education and come out looking like, how do I avoid being the next Maria Ward? Which is quite tragic, I think. Yeah, it really is tragic. And you're absolutely right. And something else I do as part of New Beginnings is I deliver training to local authorities on disguised compliance. Um, And I know that... When I go to the local authority, they're all there hungry, waiting for me to point out all the things to spot uh, when they go out to see families so they can spot the families that disguise their compliance with um, practitioners. And of course, that training actually shows them that the word disguise compliance is a load of nonsense. It doesn't mean very much at all. And then we also go through the serious case review and show how complicated it is and how it can be contradictory in places. And we also then look at their practice because at the end of the day, they've all been around long enough that they have developed their own skills and strategies. And so we work together to think what was working. And inevitably, it's all the simple things. It's being kind, showing empathy, really going in without um, an agenda, forgetting about the records that they've read, Um, that single story that is saying, this is danger remove, remove, rather than going in and saying, okay, what am I going to discover today? What are we going to learn together? Am I ready to listen to this parent's story and the child's story and see them in interaction together? Um, And I'm not saying that that is the only way because there will be other things going on too that you may not be privy to, but it's also the, the primary way to learn how you can access those stories, those hidden stories that are not so easily accessible. Because something that is really, um, that has become really apparent to me and I've never properly appreciated is that parents in the child protection system, on the whole, the majority love their children and think that they're doing a better job than their own parents and do not realise that they are causing them harm and will do whatever they can to keep them in their care. And if it means disclosing something to a social worker that could place them at risk of losing their children to care, then they're not going to open up and tell that story. Um, And and that means that they do not feel safe to share that with you. And if we're not creating a space for parents to feel safe, to share things with you that are placing them and their children at risk, then we aren't doing our job properly. Yeah. And that's quite interesting because I think disguise compliance would have been the label I would have been given because in and out for 12 years, being told what to do was kind of like a cheat sheet. It's like you're telling me what you want to see from me in order for you to go away. And essentially, I was taught how to mask um, really, really well by multiple social workers. And I masked and I masked. And it wasn't until New Beginnings when those four little words came out that I've talked about before. How can I help? changed everything for me because it wasn't you need to it's how can we and I thought that that was so powerful um and I guess that that's you know has there been moments where you've sat there and gone oh that's that's powerful I learned something today all the time just what you've just said then you know I remember doing a session with you 
and you were talking about your partner and I remember saying something like well, have you thought of another perspective and I remember seeing your faith in it and I thought oh, I'm going to lose her she's off <laughs> I'm not going to get her back <laughs> and then later getting uh, an email from you um, with a thank you you know you helped me see another perspective I realized that my past is influencing the way that I'm interacting with my partner who is a good man and so on and so forth and your letter to me taught me more about my practice. Of course, it taught me about you too, but I remember sitting there going, and so that worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that worked. And and it must have been the way that I'd done it, the way that I'd said it, the way that I'd challenged you, the way that I'd done it in that space for you to hear, for you to then go away, for you to reflect, for you to write to me. That's how you teach me, and you teach me all the time. Um, and I think every day I come away going, whoa, how come I didn't hear that before? Um, and I think that's when it comes to true partnership work is when you give that space to parents and you value their feedback and their input. Not only will you grow as a practitioner, uh, but I think you can grow in partnership with your with the parent that you're working with. Yeah, definitely. And I know one of the questions I was going to ask you was, has there ever been a moment where you thought, I can't do this? But you did answer that earlier when you were talking about the papers under the table. But I guess a follow-on from that would be, do you have any regrets or anything that you would do differently? Well, I want to come back to the the first question first. Do I have any moments where I feel I can't do this? Yeah, all the time. I feel that I'm just not the right person for the job. I feel really inadequate. Even earlier today, I was thinking, I can't do this. I'm I'm just not good enough for this role. Um, and I have to go and have a good talking to myself and sit with that discomfort. I mean, how many times have I said that to you and the parents? You need to go and sit with discomfort. And, yeah, actually, I need to take on board that lesson myself because, um, yeah, it's really challenging uh, getting to a place where you want to do right by your families you want to reach more families you want to grow you want to stay true to what you set out to do and there's all these skills that I am meant to have to help develop the organization in the right direction which I seriously don't think I have um so I go back to when I started. I don't. I think I was very confident. <laughs> don't know how. Thank God I was, because I, we wouldn't be here now. I think I've grown less confident as time goes on. Um, but maybe that's a good thing too. Maybe I'm just listening more and reflecting more. Um, so I think it's probably humbling to be in a place where I hear feedback all the time from you, from the team. Uh, from other stakeholders as well, from our parents, lots of feedback from them on a regular basis, holding me to account. And that's good because uh, that's where I need to be. Um, And then your next question, the second part was? Regrets or anything you would do differently? Yeah, I think, of course, we're in this place where I realise we haven't got the best business model in place. Mm-hmm. We started in 2018. We started in partnership with Stockport. Uh, it's been five years. We've grown in Stockport. We probably don't have the infrastructure um, and the right financial model in place. And, of course, that's about to change because we've had consultants in and they've been looking at the way we could become more sustainable, stronger, so on and so forth. And, yeah, that could be a regret. I could have done that earlier. I think I was so busy being part of the development of the practice that we do that the strategic part of New Beginnings um, took second place. Yeah. So I could regret that, but I also am really glad that it's happened in the way that it has. Um, and that does mean that I've worked a lot of hours and probably neglected my own family Um, in the long run but it means that we've come to a place now where I think we do have um, a core offer in terms of we know how New Beginnings works we've got a digital workbook we've got our program we've got a really good team oh god I love our team Um, 
um, you know, we've got you working with us. You were a parent that was on cohort six. That's our post-program support officer, and we're looking to expand on our teams that we have more of you. Yay! Um, yay. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, and our social workers who seconded in are amazing. And it took time to get to that place of where we are happy and content and are in a place where we can think about now spreading our wings and growing. So, yeah, probably could have got to this place quicker, but I'm actually glad it took the time that it did. And I'm glad we've taken it slowly. And I mean, you know, when we were looking at the figures of the families that we've worked with, mm-hmm. we've worked with over 115 families now, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, quite significant. And to know them as well, I know that they still stay around, the majority of them. I still speak to them regularly. The families I worked with from the beginning, that means a lot to me to be part of their family and for them to be part of mine. So I wouldn't have missed that and I don't regret that. Mm -hmm. I think taking it slow as well also humbles you. I think if you'd have gone too deep, too fast, too soon, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have had the humbling experiences that we've had that have helped us to grow. Yeah, I think you're right. Because we've made a number of mistakes along the way, or I have. Um, and uh, I think those mistakes are important in terms of reflecting on them and thinking about what have I learned from this and what will I do differently next time. And it's been good to do that in Stockport, in one place, with an authority that um, doesn't punish me for it. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. So you learned something else then. Where are we going <laughs> next, Yad? So that's been good. And I know one of the other things that we do is we have um, social work students come into New Beginnings uh, as placements and to learn from us. Um, But what is it that you, you know, is there anything in specific that you look for in a social work student to work with New Beginnings? Is there anything that they need to have um, about them in order to sort of really thrive here? It's a really good question. And you know that I'm quite fussy with my students. And I know that they probably feel I give them a hard time. But um, I think that what I take really seriously are the social workers that go into practice as qualified social workers. And I know that um, this placement offers lots of opportunities for social work students to come and build relationships learn different ways of working and really work authentically in partnership with parents. And those relationships that we've established are very important to me. So I expect the student to come with an appreciation of what we have built. I expect them to come with certain skills, uh, which is obviously it's a daunting environment to walk into. um, And lots of parents telling them that they hate social workers they're not going to work with them. But I, I observe the students to see, you know, how are they going to respond to this challenge? Are they going to run away? Um, or are they going to take it on? And the students that take it on, and it tends to be in those introductory meetings, because what's great about our parents is they like to say it as it is <laughs> from the first moment that they meet the students. Um, those that say, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this challenge. Um, are the ones that... Uh, do well at new beginnings the ones that um see it as a lifetime opportunity that they're never going to get anywhere else and they give it everything they've got and i look back over the students that we've worked with and there's been a fair few and i know that they i make them nervous and i think that that's a good thing i think they agree with that after the third direct observation anyway but i also see them grow Mm. and you know what's beautiful is when they come and it's their last placement. They think they already know quite a few things, and they do, but we we fine-tune those skills, and they leave different people. Yeah. And I love it when they sit in team meeting and group supervision with us, challenging us and stopping us and making us think about, hang on a minute, this isn't what you, what you believe in. Why are you going in this direction? And when we give them the floor to speak and say, come on then, tell us what's going on, Oh, that's when they find their feet. Um, 
and we see them grow from strength to strength. And then what I also love is when the parents, you know, also take great pride in taking the student on a journey mm. and um, seeing them through the placement and into practice. And, uh, yeah, that's quite a unique experience. And I think the students who do well with us appreciate that. They take it seriously. They value our parents. They want to work in partnership. They want to learn new skills, and they do. They grow in confidence. We get them leading groups. And I think that, um, well, I think that they enjoy it. What do you think? I think they do as well. And one of the things that I am going to be doing is uh, the two social work students we have with us currently that are amazing, or one's just left and one's about to, are also going to be sitting down with me and having these kind of very raw honest open questions about their experiences and new beginnings and you know just to give that peek behind the curtain for others as to what the life of a social work student looks like and how it's different for them now having finished their placement at new beginnings so i'm looking forward to that good i'm glad you're going to interview them and there's something else i want to add on to that too and that is um where i started at the beginning of that story is that you've had social workers, Claire, mm-hmm. who've not done a good job when working with you. You've had good social workers and you've had not so good social workers. I take it really seriously that we are an organisation that is helping social workers, social work students develop the skills they need to be to be the good practitioners that go in to support and work with the families and do not create a single story like I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have anyone challenging me when I was on placement as a student. Um, and I think that challenging students is good so that they don't go and make the mistakes that I made. Yeah. I mean, I had a great social worker and you guys stole him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he left me for new beginnings. And then I, I ended up working with him. It's a small world. Isn't that mad? Yeah, very, very crazy. And the last question I have for you today, Yad, is in an ideal world... What does the future look like for New Beginnings? So at the moment, what we're thinking of doing is creating a community cafe. And I'm looking for funding to help us start that up so that our families can go and run that cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can have our own community space. So I envisage having a cafe at the front. In the back, we run group and we have our offices as well. Um and we also bridge the gap between the community and our families. Because here's the thing, is that families in the child protection system are stigmatised in so many ways, not just by social workers, but by their community, by schools. There aren't many people that have a fondness for, for parents in the child protection system. And I think that that's a real shame because... you and other parents were once children yourselves uh, growing up in difficult circumstances and then people felt for you because you would have been a child Um, and I think there's this big gap uh, between community and families in the child protection system because they're all around us and they're all trying to do their best and if we can bridge that gap by bringing two communities together breaking down those barriers and creating different stories in partnership with our community, then who knows where that will lead. Um, So there's the idea of the community cafe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also the idea of branching out around Greater Manchester um, and working with other local authorities. I never want to be like the NSPCC or Bernardo's. I'm sorry, NSPCC and Badalos, if you're listening to this, because I always want to know our families. I always want to be able to um, know who we are working with. And I think the bigger you get, the more disconnected you become from those that you are serving. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of local authorities around. There's plenty of huge, big charities around. Um, but we want to stay connected to our grassroots to our community, to the people that we are here to serve. Yeah, I think that connection is what makes us work. Um, I think, you know, me knowing the parents that I work with on a personal level so that I can say certain things to certain parents to get them to 
get with the program wouldn't work on such a large scale because I wouldn't have the time to know the parents as well as I do. Um, so yeah, those relationships I think are super important and I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the interrogation over today. So thank you, thank Yadviga, you. for uh, sitting down and talking with me. <laughs> I think thank we went you, on for a bit, didn't we? But it was good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. So that's Yad's story. And in fact, our story in a way, the evolution from frontline social worker to a voice of parental advocacy and a warrior for keeping families together paints an incredibly brave and reflective journey that has changed not just the lives of dozens of families now, but will continue to do so for generations. For me and my children, Yad changed our world. And I am so thankful that I got to get her story out there. And I'm grateful to everybody who's joined us today. If you enjoyed today's interview, please follow us here on Spotify or on Facebook and Twitter at New Beginnings GM. We can also follow us on Instagram at new underscore beginnings GM. Our website is mbfoundation.co.uk and I hope to be back with you guys soon. But as promised, I will leave you with a little quote. And the little quote today comes from one of our amazing student social workers. And that is, stop preventing yourself from doing the thing that's good for you. Eat the blue frog. Thank you. <laughs>